Hello, fellow lovers of all things green. I'm Mary Stone, and welcome to Garden Dilemmas, Delights, and Discoveries. It's not only about gardens, it's about nature's inspirations, about grasping the glories of the world around us, gathering what we learn from Mother Nature, and carrying these lessons into our garden of life. So let's jump in in the spirit of learning from each other. We have lots to talk about. Hello there, it's Mary Stone, and welcome to the screen porch when it is very chilly. In fact, there's going to be a freeze this evening, or at least it's predicted. And I did not follow my own direction to not plant annuals until after the end of May because there's still the risk of frost, and so I didn't follow my own advice. And there will be garden ghosts this evening, which means I'll be putting sheets on top of the potted gardens. So there you go. Anyway, last week I mentioned the robin's nest underway, and this week I will be sharing an analogy about one of their instincts to protect their nest. A little teaser here. It involves their reflection in the windows. And we'll talk a little bit more about wisteria that we made mention of last week, and how to choose less invasive species or train them as a standalone plant. Thanks to those that reached back about last week's chat about the value of Virginia creeper versus poison ivy. Susan of Blairstown wrote, Thanks for teaching about Virginia creeper. It is beautiful, and I will let it be from now on, at least in most areas. She went on to say how she liked the wise words at the end of my podcast. Do you think they will hear it? Susan and Don are my new friends down the road we spoke about in Mending Fences with Forsythia. That's episode 96. Last week, I shared how their neighbor recently reacted angrily to Don's kind gesture of mowing the grass in front of the neighbor's fence. It must be awful to be angry all the time, Susan wrote. She shared how she gets a knot in her tummy each time the neighbor expresses anger. She would like to mend fences and has tried talking with his wife. A knot in your tummy reminds me of how I felt living with a raging husband long ago. It was unsettling, never knowing what I'd come home to. Not a way to live, sending prayers that somehow the situation resolves to one of peace. When Susan asked if the neighbor would see the story, I said, well, maybe there'll be room for it in the next week's written column. And I think perhaps the story of the robins hitting the window may be the theme that can work. I so adore the family of robins that comes each year. And this year, though, for the first time, the male robin has been flying into the kitchen window each morning over and over again. It's such a worry. They see their reflection and they're protecting their territory, which I'd known about for a long time. But when I delved in further, I found this website, journeynorth.org, that explained it more in detail. And they say that most robins that repeatedly crash into windows are territorial males. Male robins spend much of their time and energy keeping intruders away while the female is nest building and incubating eggs. Normally, when one robin intrudes on another's territory, he skulks around and flies away when the holder of the territory approaches. But not so with a reflection, because as the bird approaches the window, it appears larger, and so there's this aggressive attack with the window that goes over and over again. And it's such a worry, because they can indeed injure themselves or even kill themselves with this fight with themselves. It's really kind of bizarre, but understandable because they're protecting their family, taking care of their young, something we all wish to do. There are some things you can do to keep the little guy from hurting himself, and that is to tape up some 
cardboard or paper on the outside of the window so he doesn't see his reflection. And the good news is once the baby robins hatch, the male will get so busy tending to their feeding and care that he'll stop worrying about the phantom image of himself. Won't that be good? You know, when I was looking at this robin, I actually rolled out my kitchen window, which, you know, rolls outward, and that totally prevented him from crashing into that window. But then he started running into the up and down window. So I told him, I said, please stop. You're going to hurt yourself. You have a family to take care of. It makes me wonder if Susan and Don's neighbor is fighting his own reflection, too. Something to think about. Anyway, Susan and all of you tuning in, I think our collective energy grows and we can help others heal. So keep sharing your loving heart. Today, we're going to share more about wisteria we touched on last week as I witnessed Susan removing the vines overwhelming a shrub. Indeed, wisteria often chokes trees and shrubs, but there's an alternative, and it starts like this. Hello, fellow listeners and readers. I visited Kathleen and Andrew in Summit, New Jersey, and witnessed firsthand the strength of their wisteria dilemma devastating their deck. The wrist-thick woody vine climbing from the ground to the second-story deck was solid and impressive. It wasn't in bloom yet, and they admitted flowers have been few and far between. Indeed, wisteria needs something beefy to climb onto, as it can be so destructive. There are about ten species of wisteria. Eight are Asian, including Japanese wisteria, which is wisteria floribunda, and Chinese wisteria, wisteria sinensis. Both are on the USDA list of invasive plants. But there is the beautiful and barely fragrant American wisteria, which is non-invasive and an alternative to the Asian species. Per Fine Gardening magazine, they look different from the Asian species. Their flower trusses are not as long, and they bloom after the foliage has started to emerge, while the Asian species blooms before the leaves emerge. Otherwise, they look very similar, and because they are less aggressive... It's much easier to control and prune them, so I highly recommend them. Plus, native plants, we embrace them because they help our pollinators and wildlife. You've likely seen wisteria climbing in trees, and when in bloom in May, it's a spectacular show. But it also can strangle even large trees. Instead, it's best they stand alone. A wisteria tree is a grafted wisteria vine on top of a standard tree trunk. Or you can train a vine to become a tree, which is fascinating to read about in that same article in Fine Gardening Magazine, so I'll include a link in the show notes of how to do that. So getting back to why Kathleen and Andrew's wisteria is not blooming. They need at least six hours of full sun daily. They thrive in most soil types, as long as it's well-drained in zones 5 to 9. The first year after planting, they need at least one inch of water per week to speed establishment, but once they are... You don't need to water that often, and they require little, if any, fertilizing. In fact, one of the main reasons they fail to bloom is people over-fertilize. Typically with nitrogen fertilizer, it makes their blooms shy, let's just say. And the other thing is you have to let your new plant grow because it can take six or more years for them to flower. Pruning is another secret to good flowering. Remove at least half of the prior year's growth in late winter, leaving just a few buds per stem. If you want a more formal appearance, prune again during summer after flowering. They say for even more blooms, cut back the rampant shoots every two weeks during the summer. See that? 
you got to do a lot of pruning to keep that wisteria in control. Unless, again, you choose the native species. And don't worry if you give your wisteria a lousy haircut. They are very forgiving. And next season's rambling growth will provide you with a second chance. Garden Dilemmas? AskMaryStone.com You know, I think about it. What makes a plant invasive anyway? Is it one that squelches out other plants that nourish and provide shelter for wildlife? Or those that ultimately kill other plants, destroying the balance of things? Just like when others have invasive anger towards us as individuals or our collective selves, fighting between cultures and countries, it rattles our souls, giving us a knot in our stomach, or worse, Anger can erupt inside of us, despite our desire to be kind. Our innate nature is kindness and love. It reminds me of a story we shared way back in episode 37, Merry Season of Love Over Fear, when I shared the story of my Christmas letter when Jolie arrived and how I witnessed her maneuver through her fear and uncertainty and what joy it gave me and what inspiration When you think about it, there's only fear and love. Other feelings are subsets of them. Worry, anger, and anxiety, for example, stem from fear. In contrast, there's kindness and generosity based on love. So is hope. Imagine if we lived without judgment and we looked at every situation causing stress and fear as an opportunity to demonstrate love. What a beautiful and peaceful garden of life it would be. So anyway, I always appreciate our time together, and thank you, Susan, for sharing all that you have with me, and um, I'm hoping these words reach the neighbor and any of us that lose our tempers about things, because it really is often something they call pain body that we're carrying, and we lash out on others that um, we really shouldn't do. But we're all learning and growing in this garden of life, aren't we? So... It's wonderful to take the time together to sit each week. Again, thank you from the bottom of my heart for spending time with me and for writing in and uh, sharing your stories. It means so much. Have a great day. You can follow Garden Dilemmas on Facebook or online at GardenDilemmas.com and on Instagram at hashtag Mary Elaine Stone. Garden Dilemmas, Delights, and Discoveries is produced by Alex Bartling. Thanks for coming by. I look forward to chatting again from my screen porch. And always remember to embrace the unexpected in this garden of life. Have a great day.